Thank you, guys. So it's exciting to have a team going out there, and um, and there's actually going to be a, a little brunch that, that the team puts on on the 25th of June. There's a little half sheet underneath the ministries, ministries board out there. If you want to join us, just come as a family, bring um, bring your family along, eat breakfast together, spend time with one another, and uh, and spend time with some of the team. So we'd uh, we'd love to have you join us there in a couple weeks. And it'll be right just right in between the gatherings. It'll be like 9.15 to 10.15. So, Roger, would you mind turning up the rest of the lights? That's great. Thank you. So let's, let's pray as we enter into spend some time with the Lord in the Word. Father, we, we bless you for this morning. We bless the rain that you've brought. We bless you for all the things that have happened even in our gathering right now and, and how all of it um, reminds us that it is about you that we've come. And so we honor you right now, and we honor you, Jesus, our Lord, the one that we've sung and praised to, and uh, we just come wanting to sit with you right now that you would teach us, and that you would change our lives, that we would meet you, and that we would be changed. Amen. So what I want you to do is close your eyes. Keep them closed for a little while. And uh, I want you to think back to a time when you were extremely thirsty, like the, like the situation where you can remember, this is the thirstiest I've ever been. I thought I was going to die, that thirsty. Think about how exhausted you were. Think about not really caring about anything but just to have a glass of water. You couldn't really do anything else. But, but seek that. And your body was screaming at you out of thirst. And you were desperate. And you were seeking after water with great urgency. Keep your eyes closed and listen to this text. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Feel free to open your eyes. This text is Psalm 63 and is written by David, by King David. And, and it says right at the top, it gives us the context of which he's written it. It says the Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So there's two seasons in King David's life when he was in the wilderness running for his life. One was from his father-in-law, the, the current king at the time. 
And the second was later and was actually his son, both times seeking to kill him. So he's running into the wilderness. Talk about significant family issues, right? All of us have family issues, but I've never been running from my life, from my father-in-law, who is much bigger than I am, praise the Lord, and, uh, and also from my son, who's not old enough yet to chase me down. So um, anyways, I had a friend who just came back from Israel, and he was, and he was telling me about it, and, he's, and he was talking about the wilderness, and he said from, from the Mediterranean Sea up to the city of Jerusalem is 3,000 feet. And from that point down a descent to the Dead Sea, so you pass Jericho and down to the Dead Sea, it's, it's like 1,800 feet below sea level. So think about that descent. You're, you're, you're at, what is that? almost 5,000 feet down. It's like a mile down from Jerusalem. And he said, in that area, there is nothing, nothing. Don't think desert like Egypt desert. Think just wasteland. Think zero vegetation, no water. He said there's boulders which provide a little bit of shade, but not much. It's actually in that area, it's called the area of Galilee, which is north, which is much more fertile, is called the the land of the wealth, the land of wealth. And this area that we're talking about is called the land of the wise. And he said, if you go into this area and you are foolish, you die. So as you think about it, think about if you've been to the Badlands, think about that kind of area where you just look out and it's beautiful. There is nothing there. That's the wilderness that we're talking about. And so King David, in the wilderness, thinking about God and saying, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh and body faint for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I long for you, God. I want you, I want to be with you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. For your steadfast love is better than life, and my lips praise you. That's the place he's in. So this morning, my hope is that we would come to God in that way, and we would sit before Jesus, that he would reveal himself to us, that he would teach us, and that he unlike the wasteland, would satisfy every desire that we have right now. So a disciple is a follower of Jesus. In in this time where we see this, we have rabbis and we have followers, disciples. And the goal of the relationship is that the disciple would be just like the rabbi that he would think like him, that he would talk like him, that he would do what he does, that he, would, that, that, that he would act like him, like he would be a replication of this. And then we think about our lives. We are, we are this as followers of Jesus. That's the goal, that's the that we have, that we are disciples of Jesus to become like him. And if it seems unreasonable to you based on how you live now, 
that I could be a disciple, that that's the goal. Listen to these two texts. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You've put away the past, the old man, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We're putting on something new, something transformative in our lives that is making us. We are becoming like Jesus. Here's the second one, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among all, among many brothers. We are being made, God is making us into the image of Jesus. And it says, and for those, um, for, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What are the all things that are, be, that are good, that are working for good? All the things are making us into the image of Jesus. The goodness is being made into the image and likeness of Jesus. That's it. We are becoming like him in character, in spirit, and body. In, in the book of Acts, right after Pentecost, we spoke briefly on last week, we have, we have the apostle Peter and the apostle John. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking and testifying about who Jesus is. And it says the leaders looked at them, and it, they realized, they recognized somebody as they looked at him. It says they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. When they looked at Peter and John, they're like, I rem- I, this brings to memory somebody. Jesus. When I see them, I see Jesus, the boldness of Jesus, the word of Jesus, the the men of Jesus. They're unlearned men. We don't expect this out of them, and yet when they they see Jesus. And so we, too, as followers of Jesus, being made into his image and likeness, that others might see us and see Jesus in us. That's the hope so that the world might see and know the Savior, the one who's come. And so that's why we're just going to spend time looking at Jesus' life. To sit with Jesus, we become like those that we're with. We walk with the wise and we become wise. The proverb says, a companion of fools will suffer harm. And so we want to be with Jesus and know him and love him and be by him, just as his disciples were. So shift with me back to the wilderness. Think the wilderness. In in the Old Testament and the New Testament, so often, as you read, keep an eye out for this, you will see that God meets people in the wilderness. Whether they willingly walked into the wilderness or they just found themselves in a place of wilderness, that's where they met God. That's where God met them. And as we look at Jesus... New Testament, one of the interesting things is that when you, when you look at Jesus going to pray, where does he go to pray? He goes to pray in the wilderness. He goes to pray 
in the desolate places. He goes to pray on the mountaintops. Even Gethsemane is in the hills, outside of Jerusalem, away. And that was the place Judas knew that Jesus would be there because that's where he went. Oh, I'm going to read um, out of the text this morning in Mark 6. So Mark chapter 1, which is in, the, which is in your bulletin, is, is speaking about Jesus getting up early and going to the desolate places. Mark 6 is actually where we're going to be spending some time in this morning. And what I want you to do as I read this, you can close your eyes again. It's so good to be able to do that and to listen. Sometimes following along, we lose track. When we can sit and listen and close our eyes and be distraction-free, think about yourself as a follower of Jesus with Jesus in this time as we read, okay? And uh, see what you pick out. Keep an eye out for what, where they're going. What's the vision of what they're doing? Think about the, the desolate places in the wilderness and where Jesus is taking his disciples. So John, or Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away and go into the surrounding, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, 200 days wages worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they had five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And said, he blessed God, and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 full baskets, broken pieces of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, not even counting women or children. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, the disciples in the crowd, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Where is Jesus going? Feel free to open your eyes. What's he doing? He's taking his disciples away into the desolate place to rest. Who's in the desolate place? That's where God is. Not that he can't commune or seek God out apart from that. Um, but he, that's where they're going, to rest and to be with God. And so he fixes his eyes there. It's a distraction-free place. It's a place where he's reminded of his need 
for the Father. And he comes in humility and in trust. God, you will meet us here. We want to rest in you. You are our shepherd. We have no need. We have no want. And you will shepherd us moment by moment. And so I'm going to ask a few questions. Just think. We'll kind of do this sporadically this morning. Think about these questions as I read them. Where have you fixed your eyes lately? Do you have a place to go that's purposeful? That you might meet with Jesus? That you might sit with him? That you might be taught by him? That he might reveal himself to you? That you might rest in him and find life and find joy? A distraction-free place, purposefully coming to meet with God. And when you come and sit with him, are you willing to receive and so do? Jesus' word says in John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Are we willing when we sit with Jesus and are taught by him to say, yes, I'll go. I'll do what you have for me. So this morning, it's interesting how the Lord's been working these things. We've had a relatively um, significant morning of interruption, right? Praise the Lord. It's so good. He's so good. Even in the interruptions. Jesus is coming to go to this desolate place with his disciples, right? And who runs before him? The crowds. And, he, and they're standing, waiting for him to come. And it says, he looked at them as though lost sheep without a shepherd, full of compassion. And so he comes to shore and engages them. Let's not be afraid of the interruptions in life and be discouraged about the interruptions. God is often in the interruptions and has many things to teach us in the interruptions. We have plans. We have dreams of what we're doing. But God gives us moments and hours and days and seasons of interruptions with which if we have eyes to see, we don't run away from those interruptions to go back to our, cha- to go back to our plans and what we wanted, but we, we willingly walk into those and say, God, you are here. You're working all things. Make me like Jesus now that I might see. Let me see what you're doing. Let me even just rejoice in the quietness of Jay tuning his guitar that I might think on you, God. And not just be waiting for something to happen. Right? So let's be discouraged in those times. Those times will be difficult, often stretching, challenging, often coming to the place where it's like, I don't have anything left, God. But let's not run away from him in those, but draw near, believing that he is there. He is near. And so Jesus invites us into that picture. Not saying, get away, crowds. We have a plan. We're going to rest. But saying, yes, God, what are you doing here? Why are the crowds here? And he walks into them and spends time with them. So some questions. What interruptions has God brought into your life lately? What has he shown you in those? Even now, pray, God, what about this interruption? What are you teaching me? Let's open ourselves up to say, God, what do you want to show me? Give me eyes to see those things. And in those interruptions, have you pushed away 
or have you drawn near to God? In that wilderness place, have you sought after him? So, what did Jesus do when he came to the crowds? What did he do? It says in here, in verse 34, that he began to teach them many things. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that he taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick and in need. So, Jesus comes to the crowds, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God, And he shows them the manifestation of the kingdom of God in bringing wholeness and life, not bringing death and sickness. Think about this for a moment. He came into the interruption, and he taught them first. He met a spiritual need first and a physical need as well in in teaching about the word and the kingdom of God and bringing healing to the body, and then... The sweet thing is God's word says that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. The word of God in physical form. And it also says man doesn't live by bread alone in Deuteronomy, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we have Jesus who right after this in John says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger. And whoever thirsts and drinks of me will never thirst again. And so we have Jesus, the word of God, the bread of life, standing before the multitudes. The bread of God come from heaven, standing before the people, and he's satisfying them spiritually. And then God shows his, the kindness of his provision. It's late at night. They haven't eaten. The kindness of his provision. Go get the loaves of bread, and God multiplies the physical bread coming from the the bread man to feed the people of God, to feed these Jews, all who'd come. And they have 12 baskets left over. And so what are you in need of spiritually? What are you in need of as you come to Jesus? What do I need from you? What do you need physically as you come to Jesus? I need you, Jesus. I need this. Please, what is it for you? And also, for us as sons and daughters, followers of Jesus, to continue the work and ministry of Jesus on earth, what opportunities has God brought before us through the interruptions of life that he's saying, walk with me in this? I am there. Step forward in faith. That's the sweet thing about faith. Faith is when we don't understand anymore. I cannot understand what's happening. That's where faith begins. Faith isn't, I know everything. I realize it. Faith is saying, I don't get it. Here we go. That's faith. And so Jesus, knowing what he do, lifts up his eyes, blesses God, takes these loaves, and feeds the multitudes. That's awesome. And so Jesus, right after this then, so he does this amazing work, right? A sign of God, kingdom of God. And then it says this, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side 
to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. See that theme running through here, where they're going, the interruption, then Jesus dismisses and says, I still am persisting in where I'm going. I'm going up in the mountain to pray and to meet with God. And, and think about this. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, sometime between like 3, 4, 5 a.m. So he just fed him. It's maybe a little bit later. It's maybe not 6 o'clock, right? He feeds them, sends them away, sends the disciples. And then for hours, he's up on the mountain with God. Jesus, and this is common then, especially for the rabbis, but for many of the Jews, some of you are like, I don't have too many verses memorized. This right here is what many memorized. And Jesus, there's all this memorized. He doesn't need to take the Bible up with him on the mountain to pray and to commune and to meditate on the word. He's got it all memorized. So he comes up and he sits with his father. And he rests in him. And likely there's much of the word. He's speaking and meditating on it. And he's praying. And he's asking God to shepherd him. Show me the things. Remember, Jesus is a man. He is God. And he is a man as well. He has need. He needs to eat and drink. Right? And so he's up on the mountain praying for hours. How well do we persist in seeking time to meet with Jesus? How well are we doing? How well are you doing? Do you get the interruption and say, oh, I must have missed it today? Or do you work, press through the interruption and say, I'm still coming to meet with you, God. I still need to sit with you and hear from you in your word and share what's on my heart with you and listen and receive from you. And so as you think about this, there's a, there's a sweet time that Jesus just had with his disciples and the multitudes. And he's done amazing, amazing. The disciples are probably saying, this is, this is crazy, right? And so that's a sweet time. It's a really encouraging moment and, and uh, time. And Jesus then goes up on the mountain and prays. And so Jesus seeks to enter into the wilderness, if you will, to meet with God, even after the great things that just happened. And, and often we, we talk about wilderness-type times in our life, like, oh, I'm in a wilderness right now. And then we come up and we're like, life is good. But if we want to come and to meet with God, even as we see here, and enter into the wilderness, how can we do that in the times that are good, where, where we don't feel like we're in a spiritual or emotional or physical wilderness unwillingly, but we, but we want to meet with God and persist and come into the wilderness intentionally? How do we do that? What are some ways that we do that? Um, yeah, we just do what Jesus did. We just persist to come and to seek God and to sit with him and to set aside time and a purposeful place. God has given us a gift. Matt mentioned it. God has given us a gift of fasting and praying. You want to enter into some wilderness? Stop eating food. Your body will not like that. God will show you in that time that he is greater, that his word is more nourishing to your soul than that of what you can put through your mouth. Enter into some fasting and praying for a season, for a time, for a meal, for days, for weeks, whatever. There's different types, but enter into that wilderness and meet God there 
Maybe consider the things that are distracting you. What's preventing me? What are the maybe the interruptions that are good, but they're distracting me from coming to meet with God? Maybe they're just distractions of, of, of time or of hobbies or, or whatever. It's just sort of seeped in. God, reveal to me the, the distractions of my own life, my own heart, that prevent me from coming to spend time with you. And so ask God that, that we might have greater desire to meet with him, greater zeal for him. Begin memorizing the word as Jesus did and so many others. Memorize the word. Enter into a season in that wilderness where it's like, this is hard work to memorize. Find moments during your day to sort of enter into that purposeful place to say, I'm just going to start meditating on your word, God. We're going to meet you. I'm going to meet you. I'm coming to meet you in your word. Would you meet with me and teach me? And lastly, a wilderness that that is very hard is when Jesus teaches us in the word and then says, abide my love and do what I've shown you. And when you're living life and you have those opportunities, those interruptions, and, it's, and the option is to step forward in faith or not, that's a moment where you say, but I'm going to look foolish. But what happens if you don't meet me? But what happens about this? What if they don't like it? What if, Right? We step forward in faith and say, God, I believe that you're going to be there. You're going to meet me in that place. That's a wilderness moment, really. We're trusting God to be there when we come. And so let's, even according to Mark 6 and Jesus persisting, let's be as he is. Even as God is making us into his image. I don't know you guys, but when I look at Jesus, I say, that's a real man. That's who I want to be. Thank you, God, that you're already doing that work in me. I don't have to, I don't have to make it happen myself, but I'm going to trust that you are making me like Jesus. I'm going to walk into that. So that we might be people in the wildernesses of life, intentionally and unintentionally, willfully and sort of arriving there, not knowing it, and saying, earnestly, God, I have come to seek you. Let me know you are near. And make me like you. And so, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would hasten, if possible, you would hasten us to be more and more like Jesus. And that we would be people who enter into that willingly and saying, yes, make me like him. Invite me into the wilderness that I might know you, that I might meet with you, and that I might become like you, and that I might love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.